Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you are listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. Well, okay then. I just saw a movie. Last night, it was a special fan screening. Early access. Although this was technically the week this movie was supposed to be released, the week that I watched it, it's not actually coming out for another two weeks because they pushed the release date. And I don't know all the reasons they pushed the release date. I think part of the reason is because they knew Oppenheimer was still crushing it in theaters and specifically in IMAX where this movie hopes to launch. Barbie is still crushing it in larger theaters, although not premium ones. They are taking up most of the larger theaters that Oppenheimer's not taking up. And then Mission Impossible is still in theaters as well. So you have a few movies there that would be taking up a lot of the audience that you want to grab for your movie. So giving it another two weeks maybe gives it a better chance at doing a little bit better at the box office. Maybe a good $50 million more, which, hey, $50 million goes a long way. Maybe more than that, but I would anticipate just about 50. I don't think this movie's going to do great numbers at the box office, but I think it'll at least do acceptable numbers. So let's be real. We all saw the trailer to this movie. If you went to see any movie in the last nine months, you probably saw a trailer to Gran Turismo. Most people know it because it has a song that plays in every trailer. I mean, it's the same trailer, so of course it does, but it's the song Hate Me Now by Nos and Puff Daddy. I'm not gonna lie, I like this song all right, but Watching the trailer 50 times and hearing that song 50 times, I could see how someone would get burned out by it because for some reason, this movie just applied to every demographic. It played before Barbie. It played before Oppenheimer. It played before Fast and Furious, which makes sense. I had it play before Mission Impossible. It played before The Meg. So I really just don't know if I have seen a movie that it didn't play before. Which again, I don't mind. I thought it was a decent trailer, and I think the song is decent, but a lot of people got burned out by it. So for that reason, I think some people were already assuming that they would hate this movie just because the trailer drove them so insane. Also linked to it is David Harbour, who, while a beloved actor by many people, he's seen as a guy who is too talented for the movies that he stars in because... Yeah, he hasn't been in the best movies, to be completely honest. I've liked quite a few movies that he's in, but I think large in part, his movies haven't all been received that well. So for that reason, people see a movie with David Harbour, and they're burned out by the trailer, and they say this will be another David Harbour movie where he's just carrying his portion of the film while everything around it sucks. And then also there's a name that flashes in the trailer and that name is Neil Blomkamp who is a director that everybody loved when he first came onto the scene. So his first movie was going to be Halo. And if you ever look into the production woes that led to Halo never being made, it's kind of interesting because the amount of talent that was behind the camera and in the writer's room for this Halo movie was outstanding. There was so much potential for this film because you had Guillermo del Toro linked to it. And I believe he had a script for the movie. And then Neil Blomkamp came in with Peter Jackson. And Neil Blomkamp had his own vision for the movie that Peter Jackson was fully behind. 
And then the studio brought in Alex Garland, who Alex Garland, some might know from Ex Machina, Annihilation. He also ghost directed the movie Dread. So he's an excellent director and a very good writer. But he was brought in to have his own crack at the script because they wanted someone a little bit safer because Neil Blomkamp was so unproven. But what it came down to was there was just a dispute between the studio and between Microsoft, and the movie just never happened. And so instead, Neil Blomkamp's first movie was District 9, which was produced by Peter Jackson. And District 9 was a major hit, and quite frankly, a lot of the alien designs in that movie and some of the tech and sets and all that, it kind of looks like it could exist within the Halo universe a little bit. I think it's because he probably carried over a few ideas from his Halo movie into this movie. But I still would have killed to have seen that movie instead of the Paramount series that came out, what was that, last year? I already forgot about it, other than I know you see Master Chief's ass. There were memes calling him Master Cheeks, because yeah, you see him naked at one point, which I don't think happens a single time in the game. You also see his face a ton, which again, I don't think you see at all in the games. And I'm not a total purist, you know, when it comes to comic book adaptations, I'm willing to let there be some creativity that may stray a little bit from the source material if it's something awesome or if it adds an interesting element to the character. Sam Raimi, for example, switched up the Spider-Man character where he had him just shoot webs from his own wrists or from his hands instead of building web shooters because he said, well, he's got all these other powers. Why not just have this? And it was too much trouble for them to design web shooters and go through all that. So it was much easier just having it shoot from his own wrists. And it doesn't really change anything about the character other than, well, it's nice when Peter builds his own web shooters, I guess. But that's just an example of someone taking some creative liberties. And I think it works. I can excuse it. And same with book-to-movie adaptations. There's some stuff in books that doesn't translate properly to the big screen, and so you might make a change, and it'll be something different, but it might be something that still works. Same with video games to movies. But I think when you change a core aspect of the character for the sake of your TV series or movie from the existing source material, if it's a key thing, like you never see Master Chief's face, and then they do that on the show, I can see how people would be upset. Now, if you make it really work within the story, then I would excuse it. But the quality of that show was just not something I could quite defend, unfortunately, despite having such great potential. Anyway, I would have liked to have seen that Halo movie from Neil Blomkamp because there was just a lot of talent involved in that film. And Neil Blomkamp is a director who I've taken a liking to, despite the fact most people have not. So. Everyone loved District 9, and they thought that this guy was the next big thing. And then he came out with the movie Elysium with Matt Damon. And I'll be honest, I have not seen all of that movie. I only saw the first half of it, and I was watching thinking, this is pretty good. And then I had a friend tell me, yeah, the first half is good. The last hour is ridiculous. And I just never got around to it. I'll be honest, I never got around to the last hour of the movie. And Parmi just doesn't want to watch it because I'm afraid I'll be disappointed. But... Yeah, he just told me it gets a little bit silly and ridiculous in the last hour. But the setup and everything was great. The concept was great. And I liked Matt Damon in the role from what I had seen. And then he came out the movie Chappie. And again, it had very mixed reception. So District 9 did great. Elysium was very mixed. 
And then Chappie was very mixed. It wasn't bad altogether in reception, but it wasn't really praised. And that was the point where people started saying, okay, maybe this Neil Blomkamp guy was a one-hit wonder. That was the thought that people started to have. And then he was linked to a RoboCop movie that he dropped out of, which I actually thought was totally up his alley in terms of style and story. It seems like the type of project that he would have tackled and done a really good job with. But yeah, he dropped out of that project. And then he had an alien movie that also ended up not happening. It was either an alien movie or an alien TV series. And I love the alien franchise. But yeah, for some reason or another, did not work out. That one, I don't know if he dropped out or if there was a mutual parting of ways, which means he was fired. But here's the thing. He's a big time gamer and he's really into nerd stuff and sci-fi stuff. And even though I'm not a huge gamer, I do like sci-fi. And so I can justify a lot of mediocre movies as being pretty good just because they're sci-fi. And in his case, I think he made one great sci-fi movie in District 9. Elysium was a solid concept, even if the execution wasn't flawless. Now, I haven't seen the part that really didn't work for most people, and I told you why. I don't want to be disappointed. I should at some point, but I just haven't. And then there's Chappie, which I quite like, to be honest. I like Chappie. I know people's problems with it, but a lot of it has more to do with people in the movie being annoying to them. And by people, I mean a couple specific actors being annoying to them and not necessarily with the movie's quality being poor. And here's another thing, is those movies had pretty modest budgets for what they were. None of them were huge budget movies, but they were these very big sci-fi films. At least they look expensive. But it's because he does a really good job blending practical effects with visual effects and having stuff look real. But yeah, he ended up doing one other movie called Demonic. I never watched it. It was a horror movie. You guys know I'm picky with horror movies, and I heard this one was absolutely wretched. And people started to say, okay, maybe this guy actually sucks as a director, and District 9 was ghost-directed by Peter Jackson. And I was thinking, wait a minute, you guys at least gave Elysium a pass back when it came out, thinking, yeah, this is okay. And even Chapu said, eh, it's not that good. It's no District 9. But now all of a sudden, those movies are just outright bad, and District 9 is his only redeeming movie? And you're saying that he didn't even do that one? That's what you're trying to imply now? So unfortunately, he lost his favor with many critics, and maybe some members of the general audience that actually know who he is. But largely, the critics have kind of soured on him. Which is why it was a surprise to me when I saw his name pop up in the credits for this new movie. When I first saw the trailer, I went, Neil Blomkamp? Really? This is kind of a different movie for him. But then I realized that it is a video game movie, more or less, and so I said, okay, yeah, he is a gamer nerd, so I guess I can see it. And the trailer looked okay to me. I thought it looked like a decent movie, one of those that I would give 3.5 stars to and be like, yeah, some of this is good, some of it's not that good, but that's kind of what I thought it would be. And then I heard... I think it was at E3 they did a screening of this movie. I can't quite remember where it was, but they did a screening of this movie for people probably at E3. And the feedback was very good. A lot of people are saying, wow, I'm surprised. I really like this movie. This is a really good movie. Which made me excited because I said, yeah, it looked okay. It looked like it could be fun. I'm glad other people had fun with it. 
And granted, if it was shown in front of a gamer audience, that is kind of the exact audience that you're hoping will like this movie. It's exactly who the movie's made for. And I was going to check it out no matter what, because I think Neil Blomkamp's a good director, and I thought it looked like an entertaining enough movie. I was going to check it out. But seeing people react well to it made me feel good. I said, oh, great. I hope other people like this movie. Doesn't even matter if I do or not at this point. I'm glad it's seeming like this might be a winner for Neil Blomkamp, because I think he's an okay director, that some of his ideas just maybe weren't fleshed out as well as they could have been, and that's fine. Sometimes you have some misfires. And it's especially hard when your first movie is so good where it sets the bar that high. And hey, maybe Peter Jackson did help a lot with that first movie. And then maybe him navigating on his own, he's a little more unsure of himself and makes a mistake here or there. That happens. So I was happy to see that this one was seeming to be a winner, at least from the public perception. But yeah, I made sure to get tickets to this early access fan event screening in Dolby Cinema because I wanted to watch it in a premium theater. And I was able to secure good seats on a good night of the week. So yeah, I went to see it and I was really surprised. I expected to think this movie would be okay. I expected to walk out and say, yeah, it was a decent time and not really think much about it. But I really, really liked this movie and I was not expecting that at all. I thoroughly enjoyed myself throughout this film. So this film is actually based on a true story. Now, I don't know how closely it follows this true story because there's a lot where I kept thinking, wow, all of this is real? (laughs) I feel like they took some creative liberties to make stuff a little bit more dramatic, but there is always a chance that this is exactly how it happened. You never know. If this is exactly how it went down, then it truly is one of the greatest underdog stories I've ever heard or seen play out on the big screen. So immediately in this movie, you're introduced to Jan Martinborough, who I think lives in London. I don't really care. He's got that London accent. And look, I was able to enjoy the movie despite that. So that's impressive on its own. But he's a guy that plays Gran Turismo all the time, which he says, hey, it's not a video game. It's a racing simulator because Gran Turismo was designed to be the most accurate in terms of physics and pretty much all the important stuff to actual real life. It was meant to be as if you were really a driver in one of these super fast cars. Which, that's what I was thinking about afterwards. I thought it would be so funny if he didn't even play Gran Turismo, if he was actually just playing like GTA or Need for Speed Underground or something before getting selected for this tournament. But I'm pretty sure that part of it is true, that it was Gran Turismo that he was playing. But he played it all the time and was really, really good at it. And his dream was to be a racer. And his dad is always like, hey, man, maybe set your sights on real dreams here on a real job, going to school, doing something real, because you aren't just going to make the leap from being a gamer to all of a sudden being a professional race car driver, which is one of those things that ages horrendously, of course. But, you know, if I were a father, I'd be telling my son the same thing, okay? If my son was playing NBA 2K every day and he's like, yeah, my dream is to be an NBA player, I'd be like, okay, man, sure, (laughs) I mean, let's be real here. I was literally a top 10 NBA 2K player for like a whole month. And that was when I was unemployed, of course. (laughs) But 
that doesn't translate to real basketball. So it's kind of the same with this, where even if it's a super accurate racing simulator, you're not actually in the car. You're not taking the G's of a car that's going 300 miles an hour. There's no risk of death in your living room or in your bedroom where you're playing. So the risk not being there and the actual physics not really being involved outside of how the car steers and accelerates and brakes, those are some major, major factors. So yes, his dad was totally right, by the way. Even if his take aged horrendously where it was, hey, you're not going to be a pro race car driver just by playing this every day. And that ended up being exactly what happened. But I still stand by the father. He was correct. This was a one in a million story. And it was all because Orlando Bloom, who I don't remember his name in the movie, but his character has the worst idea of all time that somehow got green lit only because he worked for Nissan. Which that was one thing that did drive me crazy. He pronounces it Nissan the whole movie. And I said, yeah, I guess he's British or something. So that's probably how they say it. But gosh, Nissan, that's how we say it over here where freedom rings. (laughs) But yeah, his whole pitch was 80 million people play this video game. So what if we created a challenge and whoever won this challenge got to compete to be a pro racer? And the people there are like, yeah, sure. Why not? And if I was in that boardroom, I'd say, no, are you crazy? Now, again, I would have been wrong twice in this movie if I were in this movie, because I would have been on the father's side, who's played by Jaimon Hunsu, fantastic actor, by the way, but I would have been on the father's side and I would have been the one executive in the room. And in fairness, they needed a translator for the room. So he's just the British guy that comes into this room and he's pitching to a bunch of people that do not speak English and they have a translator saying what he's saying. And to them, it was probably just, yeah, it's too much hassle to argue through a translator. So let's let him run with it. Because I've been there before, by the way. I was making sales because I did door-to-door sales for a while. And occasionally I would come up on Spanish speakers And I could speak the language well enough to tell them that I don't speak it well enough to make a sale, basically. I just tell them, hey, look, I don't speak this too well. Let me call my buddy who speaks it really well. And I would then have a friend who would translate for me back and forth, but they would have one objection and I'd be like, all right, I guess we'll call it a day because I just didn't have the energy to have him try to translate my objection and then have him translate back his objection to that response to his objection. And yeah, it's just too much trouble. So I said, okay, nobody in this room speaks English and that's what he just gave his pitch in. Nobody's going to say anything because it's too much hassle trying to argue through a translator. I'm telling you, I've been there. I don't care how good the translator is either. Plus, we've all been in those board meetings, maybe not board meetings, but meetings to some extent where somebody just has horrendous ideas and you just don't have the energy to be the guy in the room to say, that's a bad idea. But we've all been in those rooms, or at least I feel like most of us have been in those rooms where you're coming up with ideas as a group and there's one guy that has the most off the wall thing. You're trying to plan a party and he says, what if we did it where everyone wore shoes on their hands? And you just think, all right, well, let's let him run with this idea. Nobody's going to freaking do it anyway. So whatever. And then you show up to the party two weeks later, everyone's got shoes on their hands, but you, you're like, what the hell? (laughs) Who approved this? 
I know it's a very obscure example, but um, I wouldn't be using this example if I didn't actually experience something exactly like that once in my life. So I'll add no further context to that story because I think it's much funnier without context. But yeah, I think that's the only reason this idea was greenlit because the concept is outrageous. It's insane. But I'm telling you, if they ever do that for NBA 2K... You guys are going to catch me soon up for the Santa Cruz Warriors within a year. (laughs) Anyway, I'm getting way off track. The point is that this kid's got a dream to be a race car driver. And in order to train for that dream, he plays a video game that's not a video game. It's a simulator. It's totally real. totally translates. And somehow it actually does. Oh, boy. It's so crazy. That's why I don't want to look it up to see what's fabricated in this story. I'd like to believe that it happened exactly as is in the movie, because as is in the movie, that is the funniest thing ever. And it's kind of embarrassing, too. If you're a pro race car driver and you let a bunch of gamers just join your circuit and beat you in races, it's like how Jake and Logan Paul are winning fights with people. I'm thinking, wait, You guys trained your whole lives to be boxers and fighters and all that, and you're getting beat up by a bunch of Disney Channel stars? I mean, yeah, sure. Of course, Jake and Logan Paul are slinging cash rounds saying, hey, maybe let us win this fight. But still, not a single one of you has enough pride to knock them out. I refuse to believe it. I feel like some of these sports are bought and not earned all the time by these people. And this is a sport where David Harbour's character whose name is Jack Salter, unless he pronounces it Saltair, but I feel like that's doing way too much because he's from Iowa, so it's got to be Jack Salter. But Jack even makes the point that a majority of people competing in this sport are competing because they're super rich, because they can afford to compete in this sport. And there are a few sports like that where it is a lot about the money. I'm not saying those people aren't insanely talented, but there is a lot of money that needs to be invested in order to be a pro in some of these sports, and this is one of them. Which is another reason that you're kind of rooting for Jan in the movies, because, yeah, he's a gamer nerd, sure, but his dad is a blue-collar worker. He's coming from a, I don't know about small town, but he's definitely not coming from wealth. And so for him to even make it in the first place would be really impressive. But yeah, Orlando Bloom's character, whose name is Danny Moore, He puts out this challenge to the top Gran Turismo players in the world and says, hey, you compete in this race and you'll be invited to this GT something camp where you'll then compete for the top spot to represent Nissan in these big racing events all over the world. And David Harbour's character, Jack Salter, is currently a mechanic, but he used to race cars. And so he's the guy that they choose to be the, not coach, but basically trainer of these gamers to teach them how to drive actual cars and get them prepared to race in real races. And he fully believes it's never going to work either, which, yeah, I mean, why, why would you believe it would work, especially if you were a pro driver? Like This is the hardest thing in the world. Probably only a percentile of a percentile could ever compete in this sport at a competitive level. There's no way a bunch of gamer nerds are going to be able to do it. That's what he thinks. And look, let's be real. That's a totally valid thing to think. But long story short, he ends up winning the smaller competition so that he can make it to this camp so that he can compete with all the other top racers from all the other countries in the world. 
And then he has to train and go through all these obstacles just to have a chance to compete. And the final thing, of course, is that he has to win their last race against all these other people that are new to the sport in the same way he is, where they've played it a ton, but they haven't been in actual vehicles. And so he's got to beat them. And so it's, yeah, he's got to win in the video game first in a big competition. And then he's got to be in this little camp thing that they have and then win in this race. And then once he's won that, He has like eight races, I think, to compete in, and he has to finish in the top four in one of those in order to get his FIA license. So the movie very much becomes a thing of, oh, he's got to compete and win this thing, and then he's got to compete and win this thing, and then he's got to compete and finish in the top four in this thing, and it's just continually challenging him. And so you could say it could get a bit repetitive, I guess, but I feel like there are new variables added to each challenge. And I haven't really talked a whole lot about the movie. I've talked about the idea of it being insane. But the fact is that this guy in the movie is a real person. And so in some way or another, he actually did do this. I don't know if some details are exaggerated. I mean, I imagine they are, but the guy did do this. And I gotta say, the actual racing scenes in this movie are exhilarating. They give you such a rush, and they are edited in a way to kind of look like the video game at times, where they'll have little arrow icons over people to show first place, second place, third place, fourth place, and they'll even do shots similar to the video game. And I know some people, based on reviews I've seen, didn't really love that because they said, oh, well, I'm watching a movie. I don't want video game references. But I think Neil Blomkamp recognized the people he was making this movie for, and I think they'll appreciate those references. And also, sometimes it gives you a good idea of where they're at in the race. There are so many cars moving so fast, and there's so much you're seeing happen. It's kind of nice to get updates of where exactly they're placed at certain times, and so it's edited very well so that it's completely obvious what place they're in, what lap they're in, and how much ground they need to make up at certain points in time. So I liked that. All in all, I think the editing was very good. I could see how it might be a little bit overwhelming for some people. To be honest, this movie has some Michael Bay tendencies to it. And that's kind of funny to think about because after seeing the movie, I saw somebody say that this felt like a movie Michael Bay should have done. I think it's just because there was a lot of Michael Bay influence in the visual style and the editing of this movie. Now, nobody can whip that camera quite like Michael Bay And this movie does not do that, but there are some shots that reminded me of shots in Ambulance and even shots that reminded me of stuff in Six Underground or his Bad Boys 2 car chase where it's just stuff that looks really cool and crazy. And I think it makes for quite a rush when you're watching these races. There are even things with how certain shots are composed or how the lighting is where there'll be a strong sun ray coming through on a certain shot. And I think, yeah, that's a very Michael Bay-esque shot right there. And what's funny is I looked up the cinematographer to this movie and although he hasn't done any Michael Bay directed movies, he did do quite a few Michael Bay produced movies because he served as the cinematographer for some of the Purge movies and then also for the movie Songbird, and I believe there was one other, but those are all Michael Bay-produced movies. 
But yeah, I really love the visual style of this movie. I love the editing and the racing scenes were just awesome. I mean, I really loved watching them. There were some that I was just at the edge of my seat by the end of the race because the truth is I didn't know much about this story. I feel like it's largely predictable just because it is an underdog story. So it implies that he wins in some way or another, or maybe that there's a moral victory involved. Like the idea of him even competing in these races is a win in and of itself. It's a big deal. But I don't know how these actual races pan out. So it was kind of interesting to watch play out. I'm seeing it for the first time. I don't know. But yeah, there were a couple points where I was at the edge of my seat. And there was one race at the very end of the movie where when the race finished, there were people applauding in my theater. And granted, that doesn't happen too often in a regular theater, but at fan screenings, that kind of stuff is not entirely uncommon. People will get way more into a movie at these fan screenings than the average movie screening. But I think that's a lot of fun, and I had a fun time because of it. Another thing is that the soundtrack was kind of awesome for this movie. There were a lot of needle drops that were from artists I don't really recognize, but I thought the beats were good, and that was all that was important were the beats. There were also a few other needle drops from Black Sabbath, and then also randomly from Kenny G and Enya, but those ones worked really well for me. And to say any more would be a spoiler, but I liked those needle drops a lot. And then you have the actual score for the movie, which had a couple names attached that I don't really recognize and I don't know how to pronounce them, but the lead composer was Lorne Balf, who is a fantastic composer. And I honestly, while watching this movie, had thought, huh, I wonder who this is. I bet it's somebody that I know. And then I saw it was Lorne Balf, and I said, that makes perfect sense. He has a distinct sound where I kind of know if it's not Hans Zimmer and it's not Ludwig Gorenson, it's probably Lorne Balf. Also, before I forget, there is a certain part in the soundtrack that uses a Boney Vare song. I believe it's Wash by Boney Vare that it uses. And it made for a really, really beautiful scene because that's the thing. I was expecting a fun racing movie. I saw the runtime and I saw it was almost two hours and 20. Maybe it's like two hours and 14. And I said, that's a little bit longer than I would expect for this type of movie. About 15 minutes longer, I would say. And 15 minutes is a long time in a movie. Just putting that out there. But there's stuff that happened in this movie that I didn't know about and it was surprising and it added a certain emotional element to the story. I saw some people saying that this moment was not portrayed in good taste because there is a certain tragedy that takes place in this film and it's kind of lumped in with the main character's underdog story and some people felt that it was too much of a tragedy to be linked to the character in a heroic way at all. But I didn't personally feel that it was portrayed as like a cool thing that he overcame this. I thought it was portrayed as a thing that this guy probably struggled with in real life when it happened and did have to overcome it in some way. So I really don't know how you could have told this story while excluding that. That's just my thought, though. But there are a few really solid emotional moments that just hit in this movie. And most of them are between the main character in the film, Jan Martinborough who is played by Archie Medekwe, and then David Harbour's character, Jack. There are a few solid moments between the two of them that are really good, and I think the one with the Bony Vare song is one of the best scenes in the movie. I think it's really well acted. I like the cinematography of it. There's just a really nice shot at the end, and I love that Bony Vare song. I thought it really worked. For me, it really worked. And then there's another moment with Jan and his father 
before the third act of the film, or I guess at the start of the third act of the film. And that was one point where I said, yeah, they didn't entirely develop this relationship as well as they could have. And I just say that because I think it establishes it well at the beginning, but you don't always see the level of care between him and his father where it's, hey, his father loves him. He just doesn't like the direction he's going in life. And that doesn't always come across right away. But then there's like a huge stretch of the movie where his father's really just not in the picture at all while he's going and competing at all these events. And then he's brought back again in the last half hour of the movie. And one scene specifically would be this scene I'm referring to. And the thing is, it's a scene that I said, yeah, this isn't really working at first. I was thinking this isn't well-developed enough. But then Jaimon Hansu just completely brings it home, just crushes it. And that's the thing. He is a great actor who has been in some great movies and given great performances, but for some reason has just never been more than the side actor in these films. And I think that's a real tragedy. But he gives a really, really good performance in this scene. And the guy who plays Jan, Archie Medekwe, I'm not entirely familiar with him outside of this movie. I don't know if I've seen him in anything at all. But I thought he was good in this scene too. I thought overall he gives a good performance. He's a likable character. He's written where you're just rooting for him because he is this underdog. In the trailer, they kind of portray him as being a little more cocky than he is in the actual film because they got him like, oh, I would dust him in a lap, bruv. And saying stuff like that in the trailer, I've done this race a thousand times, bruv. But I don't feel like he had any of those lines in the actual movie. Like that was stuff just for the trailer. Instead, he comes across as a guy who is confident, but not loud and obnoxious and cocky or anything like that. I think he's very easy to root for. And it's a story that's just kind of incredible, where even if he was all of those things, you probably couldn't help but root for him anyway. So I don't know. I thought that the story it's based on was a very interesting story. Even if they exaggerate some things, I thought it was an interesting story. I think as far as acting performances go, I enjoyed the lead actor. I thought he did a good job. And then David Harbour absolutely crushes this movie. I mean, he is outstanding. He's not going to get any nominations for it or anything like that because they're not going to give this movie anything. I guarantee it. Largely because it's a video game movie, but also because it's Neil Blomkamp and it's just a dumb racing movie is how it's going to be seen. But David Harbour, if there was an award to be given out for this movie, I'd immediately throw a Best Supporting Actor at David Harbour. I'm just saying if I were giving awards out for this movie in particular, he gets Best Supporting Actor for sure. He carries this movie in a few ways, but especially on the comedic side, he is consistently nailing it. Orlando Bloom is fine in this movie. He's okay. I mean, it's kind of a weird role to see him in, but he does a decent enough job. Some of the other racers aren't in it enough to be noteworthy. There are a couple that are portrayed as being the mean guys that you hate. And yeah, you hate them when you're supposed to hate them. So that's good. They did a decent enough job there. I already mentioned that Jaiman Hunsu is not in this movie a ton, but he does have that moment late in the movie where he really nails it and it's great for him. So yeah, I enjoyed the acting performances. I thought it was an interesting story. I think the editing was really great for this movie overall. The sound design is impeccable, especially in a Dolby theater, man. It was awesome. I love the visual flair that this movie has. And yeah, I am sold on Neil Blomkamp. I think he's a good director. He's just made some movies that people don't really love, and that's okay. 
You aren't going to love every movie from every director. They're going to have a few misfires, but I think this one is going to be a big winner with the general audience. I don't know how well critics will like it, but I think a lot of the general audience will like this movie. I've already seen a few film Twitter nerds bashing on this movie, acting like they're too cool for it, but I'm sorry. I'm not too cool for it personally. I thought it was a really fun time. I thought it was a cool movie. I feel like I mentioned maybe a couple minor gripes I had with the movie. One in just that it's kind of the same challenge over and over where it's, oh, he's got to win this race and now he's got to win this race. Now he's got to win this race and now he's got to win this race. And every time against insurmountable odds. But hey, you know what? I don't know how else they could have done it. And I thought it was still entertaining each time, even if repetitive at times. But anyway, from a presentation standpoint, I thought this movie was great. I think they nailed it on a technical level. I think there were a few actors that gave good performances that were enjoyable. And yeah, I rooted for the main character and I thought it was a cool, inspiring story for nerds everywhere. So you know what? This was not just a good video game adaptation, but in my opinion, a good, fun movie and a great time at the theaters if you're looking for a fun movie to watch. I don't know exactly how well this movie's going to do, but I think a lot of people are going to take a liking to it much like I did. So yeah, that's Gran Turismo. I really enjoyed this movie, but that's going to be a wrap for today. I appreciate you guys tuning in. If you are not already, then please give this podcast a follow on whatever you are listening on right now. And also, be sure to give me a follow on Instagram. You can find me under the username at vitamin C pod if you want updates both on this podcast and the movie business. Again, I thank you for tuning in. You guys will hear from me later this week.